is stuck on an airplane right now, uh, flying back from Minneapolis, Minnesota. He had the incredible opportunity of doing Memorial Day honor for one of his men, Don Seibel, who was killed during the amputation. I can't hear you. And uh, today what we're going to talk about is a woman veteran and what's happened with the women. Patricia Axelrod is joined again. Patricia's been um, director of the Desert Think Tank and all veterans advocate, been involved in way over 30 years in veteran stuff. And she's got a woman guest today, and we're going to talk to her. Patricia, go ahead and introduce our guest, please. Hello, my dear good friends at Warrior Connection. Good to be with you again, Doug. Great to be with you. Thank you, PRN. And thank you, lovely Lydia Pace, who is our guest for today. Now, I have known Lydia about 25 years, and we are growing older together. Uh, we are not, neither of us is, as I would characterize us, uh, younger than springtime, but we're not older than dirt. So, anyhow, she is U.S. Air Force Captain Retired, Lydia Pace. Um, Lydia, won't you say hello to us, and then I'm going to hey, give you a little bio. Hi, good, um, good afternoon to everyone, and um, happy to be I on I can't hear program. you, Lydia. There's something up. Uh, uh, we need some uh, some uh, sound control. I can't hear. Oh, I I don't know why. Um, I'm just happy to be uh, on your program, and um, uh, thank you for the opportunity to to speak. Okay, Lydia. Let me tell our listeners something about you. Lydia served uh, in uh, the U.S. Air Force Reserve from 1981 to 1991, during which time she was activated and deployed first to Desert Shield and then Desert Storm from October 1990 to the end of Desert Storm in about February 1991. Uh, Lydia is a professional RN, a registered nurse, and while in country, she served as a charge nurse with the 34th Medical Evacuation Service. She was attached to the 1st Tactical Arrow Medical Staging Facility, and she was deployed right at the Desert Storm flight line, right in the line of fire, I might add. Uh, her duty in theater was to help prepare wounded soldiers for flight to U.S. military hospitals, generally located in Germany, Ramstein in particular, and or in Spain. And serving in that capacity, she helped save the lives of countless soldiers, uh, for which she, she, our country owes her a debt of honor a debt America has yet to pay or even acknowledge properly, I might add, as is the case of hundreds of thousands of Desert Storm veterans now suffering from Persian Gulf War illness. Uh, Lydia is, in fact, quite ill right now as a consequence of her service in uh, the Persian Gulf. Uh, subsequent to the multiple toxic exposures she was ongoingly exposed to, and she is here today to tell us about this and about her experience in war and post-Desert Storm battling the bloody VA for the rights and benefits she is entitled to. Uh, those rights and benefits our nation promises all of our soldiers and then routinely breaks that promise. She is an unsung American hero, and we are proud to have her on our program today. And I am proud to say that I've known her for about 25 years. And... Um, I am so uh, proud that she is here today, and I'm proud to give her the chance to tell her story. 
So, Lydia, welcome, darling. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. Thank I, you. I can't hear, though. I thank wanna, you. I wonder if we can get a sound check on this. Thank you. Thank you. Um, at any rate, Lydia, now you were in service uh, uh, as a reservist from 1981 to 1991. That's right. Correct, dear? Yes. Yes. Okay. And you deployed to Desert Shield in about... October 1990. Now, for those who are yes. maybe too young to know what Desert Shield was, uh, and for those who may have forgotten, Desert Shield was the lead-up, the preparatory to Desert Storm. It was the time when American forces deployed. It was the readiness state of war mm-hmm. uh, prior to uh, Desert Storm. Yes. And then um, uh, Lydia served honorably and uh, with extraordinary uh, compassion and kindness in uh, Desert Storm uh, right through the war. She was stationed uh, right at the flight line, as I said. She was stationed uh, first in Bahrain in Saudi Arabia and then later at the King Khalid military city. Now, for those who don't know what that is, that's called KKMC. The King Khalid military city was where uh, the staging place for that war, the U.S. Yes. staging place for uh, Desert Storm, and our, our uh, hospital, uh, our military hospitals, our infield, our theater hospitals were there, and uh, Lydia was one of those people who was busy saving the lives of countless uh, soldiers who were wounded uh, in Desert Storm, uh, either by uh, friendly fire, fratricide, or by accident, or by enemy fire. And she um, resided in something called a tent city there. There was a tent city set up, and there were uh, the wards, the hospital wards, were these great big, huge tents. Imagine this, if you can, out there in the middle of the desert. Here is Lydia out there, and all of, what, 31, Lydia? How old were you? Uh, At the time, I was... um, uh, well, I was just—I was 38 when I when I was over there, and I had my 39th birthday um, over there. Ah, okay. Well, she's still a, still a young woman. She was still a young whippersnapper. I'm 66, as is she. So we consider these young whippersnappers. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, what Lydia was responsible for essentially um, was to prepare. Incoming soldiers who were wounded uh, from from the battlefield and uh, from the staging area uh, were uh, were deployed or, or sent to the hospital at the um, at the King Khalid uh, military city this this uh, tent city and Lydia would help prepare these soldiers to return to. Uh, or to, to fly to Germany, whereupon they would be treated in military hospitals there, or to Spain, and I guess in some circumstances perhaps directly uh, to the States. Yes, if, in exactly fact, they were right. not ready, yes. uh, to, if she could not ready them, what Lydia would do would, would be then to send them back to the MASH unit from whence they came. And to, to prepare them, what that meant was that she wanted to make sure, she readied them for flight, because we were... We were, we were flying them out of there, and they had to be ready for flight. Lydia, tell us, tell us a little tiny bit about getting uh, 
a soldier ready for flight. What does that mean? Well, uh, when we would get the patient from, like, say, from a MASH unit, we would, um, uh, the enlisted would usually uh, get their vital signs, and uh, we had to prepare their, you know, to do a proper assessment on their particular needs, whatever physical needs or whatever condition that they were in, we had to ensure that they um, were assessed by the physician that was with our team. And he, um, if any medications needed to be prescribed, like say for pain or if the person was experiencing pain, you would want to pre-flight them for uh, pain medication, um, or if right. they so essentially needed what Lydia would do um, is make sure they, these folks were stable enough to they fly safely a, to the hospital. Oh, 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 guys, you're running over each other. Lydia, Go ahead. I can't hear her, unfortunately. Lydia, uh, essentially what you would do was to make sure that these soldiers were safe enough uh, in stable condition to fly uh, and if they weren't in stable condition, you send them back to the mesh. Is that right? If they were not stable, we uh, obviously they could, it could cost them their life. So we would have to send them back until they were stabilized in their right, physical condition. Right. Lydia was an angel of mercy, really, um, at the at the battlefield, and she, um, in in doing this, I mean, she helped save the lives of of countless, countless soldiers here. And God knows she must have comforted uh, these young... They were very young, weren't they, Lydia? Were they just kids? Oh, yeah. Many of them were in their their teens or, or uh, in their 20s, 30s. But the thing is, I want to uh, stress, it, it's, it's a team effort. It, there's no one individual that... Um, can do that all. It, 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 in any time you have a mission that you have to do, it's it's a team effort. You you um, have to depend on your enlisted. Um, you de- you depend on your doctors. You depend on other nurses. To everybody has to be coordinated in uh, as a team and for the effort of ensuring the safety of your patients. So uh, it, and I'm very thankful that the people that I worked with, um, we worked very well together and we did, a, a, I believe, a, a very good job at taking care of our patients That's and getting them sure. um, all at uh, to their next location, which would be um, usually um, uh, Germany. Yeah, Lydia, when I was at Bedcom headquarters, then we got up to KKMC. I mean, the work you guys were doing was known to be extraordinary. One of the questions I have, I mean, we all ran into this problem when we got over there. What type of preparation did training did you have for the NBC environment that we were going to, that we knew we were running into, and then all the hazmat stuff that did your unit have any um, specialized training? Just for the benefit, and may I just make this suggestion, because we are all military folks, we know what NBC means. But let us, for the benefit of those who don't know, NBC means Nuclear Biological Chemical Warfare Exposures. 
Doug is asking about how prepared were folks for the reality of that war, which was exposure to radioactive weaponry, biological weaponry, and chemical warfare weaponry. Please go on, Lydia. Well, my training with NBC training started, um, I started out my career as, as a flight nurse. And um, uh, when I was in San Antonio for my six-week training, um, well, let me go back. In my initial um, encounter with the military, I had a two weekend, the two weeks that I had to, in terms of being, you know, going into the military, I still can't you hear have you, to Lydia. Go through a I wish program. the sound engineer could Patricia, hear me and do Patricia, something about it. Patricia, she's coming through loud and clear. Just listen. Okay. I can't hear um, her. Please go uh, on. One of the things is for those first two weeks of going into the military, I was at Shepherd Air Force Base, and that was my first experience with NBC training. Then when I went through flight school, I, I did continue to um, get training in NBC training. Um, it was textbook knowledge as well as on hand, you know, putting the, uh, the, um, the um, suit on, those kinds of things. Um, and then when I left... Um, as a flight nurse, and actually my uh, unit that I went um, eventually to, eventually supported AeroVac, they continued MBC training, usually at your unit training assembly, which was usually um, that Let we me, would have, you know, uh, once Lydia, a month. excuse me just a moment. Can I explain for the benefit of the, of the listeners what a flight nurse is and what you mean by flight training. Lydia was not training to be a pilot here. She was uh, specifically trained to implane uh, soldiers aboard C-141s, and they, had, um, they were able to carry about 88 litters, uh, you know, of 88 wounded soldiers. So she was specifically trained to do that. And by, what she means by flight training is that she had to know the workings of that plane outside of the cockpit. She didn't fly the plane, but she had to know everything about that plane. That was all about her training. So she had a extremely highly specialized training, very unique. Please go on, dear. Um, well, um, for the... NBC training, um, it was just the, well, we had the, the textbook knowledge and understanding about what they were, what the symptoms were, we understood that, um, and we had to practice on the um, wearing, putting and donning the suits, donning the mask, and and all of those, we had to have pretty regular training in that and um it, it it though you never in your mind you never think to yourself oh yeah i'm going to be in that situation i i certainly can't say that even in any until saddam 
invaded Kuwait, and we were, you know, then thrust into that into the theater. Um, then the reality, it came. It, all the training, all of that training, just kind of, you know, it it, it uh, materialized. What type of casualties? Let me, and may I just interject one thing? She had one mob suit throughout the entire duration of the war. This is she true. had one mob suit, one yeah. protective suit, and a mask that was not fitted to her face. No. This is in no way unique, unfortunately. This horrible failing is in no way unique to Lydia. One mob suit. This is a mob yeah. suit is a protective suit uh, in her case, it was a two-piece suit. In some cases, it's an overall. It has a charcoal lining in it, and it is intended to wear only for a very short duration as you're going right. through a contaminated area, and then it's supposed mm-hmm. to be ex- uh, disposed of, and it's no longer of any use. So the bottom line, though, is that the, the U.S. military, rather than uh, preparing our soldiers properly, rather than giving them adequate protection, gave them one stinking suit, leaving them at the mercy of hundreds of CW uh, attacks. And there were ongoing CW chemical warfare attacks of sarin, soman, mustard gas, and uh, BZ, and other uh, chemical warfare agents. Please go on. Sorry. Um, one of the things... Um that um, we did experience were we were within that 100-mile radius of Camasilla, and that was the uh, our own troops who burned the chemicals into the pit. And we were told later on that we were within the 100-mile radius of that, uh, of the low-level exposure to chemicals, but that... That wasn't the enemy. That was our own, who really Let me, for the benefit of our listeners, explain what Camasilla is. Appropriately. This is the one, op- the one time that the U.S. military acknowledged uh, chemical warfare exposure. Camasilla was a chemical warfare uh, arsenal, our own, and uh, we uh, accidentally blew it up and thereby exposed our own. Uh, and it is the one time that the U.S. military acknowledged uh, CW exposure or chemical warfare exposure. So, subsequently, they sent out letters to thousands of veterans uh, uh, explaining to them that they had been exposed, uh, which meant nothing because it didn't mean that they were going to care for the veterans. Am I correct, my yes, dear? They didn't expose. They didn't what they acknowledge said to that. Us was Am I that, correct, Lydia? Yes, you were exposed, but that it, it they, the way they claim that it low level exposure was not going to be an issue. Well, you know, one thing that we had and Lydia and you're probably aware of this, there were 105 sites that we knew of that we blew up during beginning in uh, December of 1990 and it continued on after through mm-hmm. and beyond the ground war. Mm-hmm. And so that continued on into the fall of 1991. One of the things that, you know, we've got all that stuff and all this stuff is happening. What type of medical problems, I mean, obviously the exposures you had went the whole range. You had the oil well fire, you had the low-level yes. sarin, we had the sarin and the Scud missiles. Yes. The Scud missiles had hit right there north uh, northeast of KKMC, which was, uh, you know, part of the thing came back on KKMC. We were all there. 
But what, uh, what other kind of medical problems did you develop or did you see in your soldiers that you were taking care of? Well, Let me in, uh, in a lot of the people in my DX, unit which were is affected. A, uh, I wasn't a, the only a one. A chemical warfare um, agent that is uh, treated with a permanent viscous material so that it stays on the ground and you're continually walking through it. There was mustard gas out mm-hmm. there. So uh, there was anthrax out there. There were chemical, uh, biological warfare agents out there. And, of course, there was our own radioactive weaponry, also known as so-called depleted uranium. So please go on. Yes. Um, For many of the people in my unit, um, um, some, like myself, experienced um, problems with their thyroid. Some experienced rashes. Some experienced chronic fatigue. Um, one of my, uh, the people in my unit uh, suffered from um, from um, MS, um, some chronic headaches. Um, it, it was such a multiple uh, soup of problems within my unit that I, I was the only one in my unit that really helped to look at their problems within the unit. There was really no investigative body that looked at um, our particular unit. Um, And my unit wasn't the only unit that had problems. Um, There were many, many such units that that went ignored. um, And um, there wasn't really anyone really paying attention to the really looking at the um um the the those particular medical problems one of the things that was unique and again this is a female i mean you got major denise nichols who was also another u.s air force flight nurse yes, she ran the denise. medevac station up log base charlie yeah i but, knew uh, her when what I was kind of medi- medical problems did the females and all of you as a female kind of experience as you're c- coming into war unique things that we have to look out now that's happened and in the future. And, and, and Lydia, if, if, you, if you would care to, I realize this is a very private issue, but if you would care to, perhaps you would be good enough to share with our listeners um, what you have suffered uh, as a consequence. Um, some of the medical problems. Starting Soon after with, I came and I know back, I, can say that, I uh, Lydia um, now has identified as having a thyroid problem. Um, and that was identified as a goiter and a goiter is just an enlarged thyroid, and eventually um, the it was identified as a, a nodular, then a multinodular goiter. Um, but um, no one ever said, well, what were the potential um, issues that could have uh, caused it? The, when I was evaluated at McGuire Air Force Base after I returned. The doctor never asked me about my exposure history. She just identified the problem and um, said, well, this is, this is what needs to be done, but never looking at, at in terms of investigative work or looking back at my unit to see what other, other problems that were occurring. And didn't she say unit. to you, uh, Lydia, um, it was, in fact, 
a VA, the VA doctors chose to ignore it. It was a civilian doctor that identified it. And isn't, didn't she say to you, or didn't they say to you, if you're dying at, and when she presented okay, to the well, hospital, when I initially, if you're dying, well, we'll take care of you. But otherwise, let me, let me, crap let me it, go I paraphrase, correct? Initially, when I went to the VA, but that was for the second problem. My second problem was my platelet disorder, and they identified it as a platelet disorder of unknown origin. Um, I had been treated for the platelet disorder. It was called idiopathic thrombocytopenia pupera. They identified it on the outside, but when I uh, when they couldn't identify what the cause was, I thought, well, I you know surely I'll go to the VA. The VA will understand what caused my platelets to um, to bottom out, basically. And when I initially went to the emergency room, the intent was to get to see a, uh, set up an appointment to see a hematologist to evaluate my, uh, this particular problem. So I, uh, I mentioned this to the, the person, the personnel, the administrative personnel, and they said, unless you're dying, you can't be seen. I said, well, I had spoken to a particular person in Washington who reassured me that I would get seen. So when they realized that I wasn't going to leave, they escorted me into a room, but the doctor said the exact same thing. She said, unless you're um, dying, you can't be seen. But I, and I reiterated, this is who I spoke to in Washington, gave the name, phone number. She came back five minutes later. She never apologized. She just said, we'll set up an appointment. We'll get some blood work done, and we'll set up an appointment for you to see a hematologist. No, no, I'm sorry. And then when I eventually got to see the hematologist in hopes that he will be able to help me understand what was causing my um, platelet disorder, he he said to me, we'll treat you, but we're not going to find out the reason. And, and a part of me went just like 10 feet under because that obviously was the reason I wanted to find out why my platelets were doing what and they Lydia, were doing. And Lydia, would you be so good as to kind of list all of the other dreadful things that are, that are uh, affecting you, which you hold this war to be responsible for. You have degenerative disc well, disease, the, the, as I remember. The, recent, the most recent problem that's come up uh, was recently diagnosed with uh, chronic myeloid leukemia. And um, the basic way that you get leukemia, this kind of specific leukemia, is through exposure to radiation. So well, you the doctor that... Uh, Wait I'm sorry? Yeah, one of the things what with the leukemia, saying? leukemia has been a common finding now with the depleted uranium contamination exposure. Yeah. So if you get the casualties well, coming the back that are contaminated. Yes. Go on, Lydia. Well, that's the thing is many of the soldiers that I took care of from the front had the same clothing on that they were wearing when they were on the battlefield. So they may have had it on their clothing or whatever. Um and so they not only exposed be, me, but a whole bunch of people. You know, one thing is, 
I, my people not understand, again, working with Denise and all these, you guys, when you get to an aeromedevac station with the Air Force, the predominant, you're a female staff. You're primarily females, correct? Um, we were mixed group because we had um, uh, male doctors, mostly were do- uh, male. Um, female, um, we had female enlisted and female officers, um, nurses. And um, so it was a mixture. We had a mixture. Lydia, would you, would you mind terribly just giving uh, our listeners a host of other ailments from which you suffer? Well, the, uh, the other thing is what the, I wound up with osteoporosis, but that was as a result of the treatment for the platelet disorder. I was on long-term prednisone for like about a year, and that um, side effect of long-term prednisone is osteoporosis. So I was service-connected for the, um, the osteoporosis for the platelet disorder, and I had to have, eventually have my thyroid removed because it was a goiter can grow. And if it grows... You also it had push. kidney failure as a consequence of the prednisone and so forth. Is that correct? I'm sorry? You, said you had some kidney issues. The as kidney uh, issue your... may have been related to, to the, um, the problem uh, with not so much the cortisone that was more related to the treatment for the, uh, the chronic myeloid leukemia. Mm-hmm. Um, it was and, um, the, the... And you also have horrible might, migraine I'm headaches, sorry? is that right, dear? I'm sorry? Horrible migraine headaches. Uh, yes, uh, I, I have experienced the problem with the headaches, but my friend who I served with, had, um, who's since passed on, she wound up with uh, serious problems with rash and a headache. Matter of fact, um, her testimonies in, in the congressional testimony um, from... Um, Lydia, years are you back. speaking right into the phone? Will you forgive yeah, me? Yeah, she's I'm coming across a loud and clear, Patricia. To put your phone up to your ear. My ear phone is up to my ear. Are you speaking directly into it, my dear? Yeah, she's coming across loud and clear, Patricia. On your side, yes. On mine, no, I'm sorry to say. Please go on. Um, for, for my friend, um, she um, witnessed something unusual happen to her, and that was in the congressional testimony. Um, she um, claims that Something from the sky, I don't know what it was, that, um, that fell on her face. Did um, you say something fell on her face? Something, she claims, it's in the congressional testimony, and something fell on her face. Was and, it wet? What was I'm it sorry? exactly? What do you, was it wet? Was it, what was it? Well, they, they tried to, to minimize it as nothing. But she wound up developing a rash. After that incident, she wound up with a rash. They tried to say it was due to the chemicals um, that they, because they, you know, enlisted would have latrine duty. 
also that uh, they were saying that it was as a result of the chemicals from the from her you know the latrine duty but but she never had a problem with that before and it it was after this um episode that she said something rained down on her face and after that was she was following up a, with a, chronic, a, 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 a siren um, here was it following uh, a CW uh, attack or a warning. There she, were sirens nobody going would off. ever tell her? her. Nobody would ever tell her what it was that she might have been exposed to. She um, and she could never tell me. Um, we could only speculate that um, she she was. Um, it obviously caused the rash that she had ongoing for years. And then no, the, Lydia, headaches, um, the headaches were um, subsequent to um, to to that. Episode. For your friend, were you at the same place, Lydia, as she was? When that this happened, one of the friends uh, I know. She, she, we were on two different times. She uh, at that time, I was working days; she was working nights. We, you know, we had twelve-hour uh, shifts. And this was at KKMC when this happened. Um, she was coming out of the uh, mess tent, and this kind of rained down on her. Something rained down on her, she said. She did go to the um, uh, to see um, a medic regarding this, uh, a medic, a medical attention regarding the particular situation, but... They tried to push this on as as related to an allergic response of some sort. Um, but like I said, she um, went before Congress to present her testimony before Congress. So um, th this was um, very much an issue, and and her daughter wound up with rashes. Um, is that after, our is that our friend after, uh, who recently um, became deceased? I'm sorry. Is that our friend who became deceased? Yes, who was recently was, deceased. Um, I don't know if I can say her name. I don't. No, let us not. About in deference to her her daughter. But do yeah do, yeah yes. But, um, but do say she, her name. We um, don't have to actually say what she's deceased from, but because we do need to honor her, go ahead and say her name. Well, it's in the congressional testimony, so her name is Charlene Harmon Davis. Right, and she, and she is now deceased. She's another one yeah, of the countless victims in, of Desert uh, Store. Uh, April 1st, 2016. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, and Lydia, will you do us, We I know there are many more, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, folks, there's barely an organ that uh, the beautiful Lydia has that has not been affected or afflicted by uh, her the multiple illnesses that she has been besieged by as a consequence of her multiple exposures. So um, think about it. It's her stomach. It's her heart. Every organ almost in her body has been affected and afflicted by her multiple exposures. Say for her great brain, which is 
totally up and operating, <laughs> much to my great pleasure. Right, Lydia? Well, you know, I I know that, uh, and some people in my unit did experience short-term memory loss. I know that Charlene did experience that. Um, I I can't say that I have. I know that some have also experienced post-traumatic stress. Charlene did. Um, I know that um, some experience uh, intestinal difficulties that I can. Yes, I did. Um, I can say that um, in terms of um, uh, the joint pains, problems like that, yes, I can. Um, it, 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 uh, you're right in, in your statement that it affects the whole body. Yes, it did. Um, the the oftentimes the evaluations were very limited when they evaluated um, the um, go for veteran on not only my situation but on many of the people that I worked with myself. The, there was very limited and very frustrating, by the way, for many veterans uh, recognizing that they. Um, that their situation wasn't really being paid attention to. You know, when we looked at the overall stuff, the Department of Veteran Affairs published their clinician's guidance of Gulf War illness and what they call Gulf War syndrome. And again, you've already mentioned almost almost all of these, Lydia. We got fatigue, we've got skin rash, we've got headache, we got muscle and joint pain, we've got memory loss, we got shortness of breath, we got sleep disturbances, we got between diarrhea and constipation like a yo-yo. And yes. then all the rashes and the chest pain. I mean, that's the overall Gulf War syndrome. And the horrible thing is, when you look at the depleted uranium exposure, and again, the same thing that hit you with the clothes that hit Denise and all the other ones, you get the sleep problems, mood swings, the respiratory problems, the memory loss there, the chronic fatigue problems, the rashes, the aching yes. joints, the headaches, abdominal yes. pain, sensitivity to light, blurred vision, all the. And then yes. this is nothing, I don't know if you can talk about this. All the female um, OBGYN problems. Yeah, impacting disorders. our reproductive uh, uh, systems, yes. And then the neurological problems. I mean, so it's it's gone all the way across the same thing, and it was kind of unique because, as we figured out, it wasn't a single thing. It was a whole complex mixture of stuff yes. that everybody got nailed with, either from a direct exposure, as you explained, or cross-contamination. Yes. From frontline front casualties that you guys were treating, yes. that we were all treating. Let me intervene, if I might, by reminding uh, or informing our listeners, and for Desert Storm veterans or Gulf War veterans, let me tell you, and Lydia knows this to be so, and I believe it's what brought us first together. I published one of the very first papers uh, on the civilian side, actually, if not the first civilian side, a uh, paper called A Research Guide to Desert Storm Syndrome, and that was at the behest of the National Institute of Health, uh, Institute of Women's Study. And subsequently, um, it was prepared, it was based on uh, an exhaustive literature review of the NIH's uh, own database and others. And subsequently, when I went to present it at the very first NIH hearing, National Institute of Health, for those who don't know, uh, there was a flurry of time following the war when, for a very brief moment, Desert Storm veterans captured the imagination 
of the public at large who put an ear out and listened to their complaints. And, uh, and um, the uh, VA and the DOD, of course, tried to cast and enshroud this whole business with mystery, saying it was all in their heads. All of these soldiers, thousands upon thousands of soldiers who were suffering everything that they suffered from, uh, every pain they had, every everything, it was all in their heads, everybody's head. We, they were all suffering from mass hysteria. So um, the, uh, the government uh, decided they were going to do something about it. And it's essentially, when a government wants to do something about it, what do they do? They study it. Let's study it. Let's study the hell out of this. And maybe yes. for some reason while we're studying it, people will lose interest in it and we can ignore it. So they just study the hell out of it. And they had a, a, a series of hearings, the presidential advisory board, these were convened by uh, Clinton, and I testified at uh, two or three of those hearings. And there were a series of hearings at the National Institute of Health, which were um, uh, promoted wa- ba- uh, wide and large and far and wide amongst uh, uh, and for the benefit of veterans, many of whom, hundreds of whom showed up for these hearings, I might add. Uh, and the paper that I presented and prepared just for that purpose uh, was essentially squashed, squash. It was never published, and as a matter of fact, the National Institute of Health asked me to take their name off of it, even though I never did, uh, specifically. And thereafter, as an aside, so that is called for anyone who can find it, and if you can't, please contact me, a research guide to Desert Storm Syndrome, and that will contain within it all of the multiple elements, all of the multiple factors contributing to Desert Storm, what was then called Desert Storm Syndrome, which morphed into Persian Gulf War illness, all of the factors and the subsequent symptomology thereof. And then I published a second paper called, uh, what was that paper called, uh, Lydia, that you asked me about? Um, a Diagnostic Profile and Protocol yeah, of the uh, one of, uh, Chemically Injured in uh, Soldier and uh, uh, Civilian. Each of these was peer-reviewed and published in the International Perspective in Public mm-hmm. Health, but not published by the NIH. And I would be pleased to present that to anyone who is interested in that. I urge you to get your hands on that if you're a Persian Gulf War veteran and have it yes. introduced to your medical record, even if they choose to ignore it. Have mm-hmm. it introduced into your medical record. Please, uh, go on, Lydia. What, what I would like to see, and, you know, I, I think these, these, um, these opportunities to talk about what uh, occurred is, is essential um, if anything is going to be learned from that experience. But what I would like to see happen is for epidemiological studies to be done on um, particular units uh, in theater, um, uh, really look, I mean, I know of specific small um, scale type of epidemiological studies, but no long-term epidemiological studies have been done on Gulf War veterans. That's what I'd like to see. I would like to see real serious uh, if we're going to learn anything about how to better protect our soldiers, 
We've got to learn from our past. We are not going to do a real good service to our soldiers if we can keep continuing making the same mistakes by ignoring our past. And the whole point of this is to pay attention to the past so that our future soldiers don't have to experience what um, I and the people in my unit uh, experienced or soldiers who were in the front line or forward or wherever they were, they should not have to go through what we went through. You know, you're right, uh, Lydia, and that's part of the whole thing, exactly what's going on. One of the frightening things is for myself and our team in our units they're still claiming that we weren't there and we didn't do it. There were no exposures. There were no nerve agents out there. There were no, you know, the anthrax vaccine wasn't bad. Even though when you get the clinician's guide on Gulf War illness, it states very specifically, you know, a whole host of serious medical problems from the anthrax vaccine along. And, you know, yes. one of the things you got into is, and I don't know if you did like I did, we all took the anthrax vaccine and yes. I, I gave thousands upon thousands of shots. Yes. And we had to because, as we know today from the work of Jim Toot, yes. Iraq got the weaponized anthrax from Fort Detrick, Maryland, yes. Yes. specifically right. to use on us, and they did. And the consequences from the anthrax, I mean, this is what the VA acknowledges in their clinician's guidance. Yes. Muscle and joint pain, paralysis, yes. chronic fatigue, exhaustion, severe yes. headaches, weight loss, chronic illness, memory problems, numbness yes. in legs and hands, spasm tremors in limbs. Yes. Uh, diarrhea and the cardiac, all and of the these, cardiac the goes across the pain problems. Any one all of, of these, I can, which, uh, I, I so can just tell you that I'm, like I said, I'm the only one that really looked at the people in my unit, and I could tell you everything that you mentioned. I could tell you that many of my people in my unit experienced, and many of them have passed on. Uh, Charlene is was the closest, uh, she was the closest to me, but many of the people in my unit have since passed on since the Gulf War. Let me just uh, hasten to, uh, unfortunately, uh, make this statement, and that is that any one of the multiple exposures from the burning oil well fires to the use of pyridostigmine bromide, which was a so-called pretreatment for chemical warfare uh, agents for exposure to CW, uh, which is not to be uh, administered to a healthy person under any circumstances. Pyridostigmine bromide is for the treatment of myasthenia gravis. Give it to a healthy person and you are ensuring neurological disorder, long-term neurological yes. disorder. And it was routinely yeah. uh, given out and people were ordered to take it under threat yes. of court-martial, except that in Lydia's case that was not the case. There was also... Uh, a, um, a host, a whole host of experimental drugs. The anthrax vaccine that we're, we're speaking of was an experimental drug. It was yes. a recombinant DNA experimental drug which had never been tested previously. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to say, not only was Desert Storm a tremendous logistical uh, and moral uh, mistake, it was all the, all the worse for the fact that it was uh, that the soldiers in Desert Storm and elsewhere are nothing but human guinea pigs for the lives yes. of uh, pharmaceutical country, uh, companies yes. and mad scientists, there's no other word for it, who want to test these vaccinations, including the use of PB, 
on, on our soldiers. Unfortunately, this demonstrates the fact that our country does not really give a bloody damn about our soldiers. And this yes. is, is the truth, and it's demonstrated over and over and over again. It's cheaper to bury a soldier, this is a dreadful thing to say, than it is to care for them. So uh, you'll forgive me, I think passion is appropriate. I've been a veteran advocate, everybody knows, for 35 years, those who know me. So I am passionate about it, So, um, and it is appropriate to be passionate. These soldiers marched from, our Desert Storm veterans marched from parades, marched from parades right into beds, into sick beds. And yes. Congress just raised their legs, and if I might be gross about it, they raised their legs and pissed on them, and it's still going on. Yes. And every yes. president has turned their back on our soldiers. And from Trump on down, and there's now a new appointee in the sec- who's the secretary of the VA. He, too, is a, is a, if you look at his experience, you can see that his loyalty will not be to the soldier. It will not be to the soldier. There's no experience of him being, uh, or knowledge of him being loyal to the soldier. There's, there is experience of him being a yes man. So I'm telling you that in my experience, the VA hospital system must be abolished. It is so filthy. It is so corrupt. It will never be fixed. And it is exemplified by the fact that Lydia has, was told to her face, we're only going to take care of you. We'll take care of you if you're dying. Right, Lydia? Oh, my gosh, yes. And then um, it was um, my writing. To, I wrote to every um, senator on the Veterans Affairs Committee and every congressman. They, As a result of my writing about my experiences, they did a congressional inquiry on my case. My case was sent to Houston for evaluation, but even in Houston, when I was evaluated, the doctors there really um, didn't really pay attention to my exposure history. The only one who did was, for a limited way, was Claudia Miller. Claudia, who, uh, I don't know, Claudia had, Her background was, uh, was in uh, looking at uh, chemical exposure, but, um, but the staff themselves were really not very well experienced and taking care of, of um, soldier, uh, go for veterans. I was kind of um, disappointed. Well, that goes um, back to what we put together before, the need for continuing medical education, because if the doctor is unaware of it and is unwilling to go look for it, for us to get medical care is, uh, is extremely difficult. One yeah. of the problems we've run into as the VA is well, trying to get that, the uh, civilian me, doctor. A second, Doug. Before that goes on, let me please interject that there are stellar physicians. There are whistleblowers. Yes. There are VA whistleblowers who are yes. who are uh, putting their lives, their personal um, security, their professional lives, everything uh, at stake. They've got their their uh, necks on the on the uh, chopping block, and that's happening right now. There are VA whistleblowers. So let me please be sure to inform people that while we are tarring the VA, we will not tar everyone with the same brush, that there yeah. are stars, that there are people yeah. who care. It's just that the yeah. system is so stinking corrupt that those poor people mm-hmm. are generally, just as is happening with the whistleblowers I am working with right now, these whistleblowers find themselves persecuted, 
and subsequently prosecuted. They drum up charges against them to get rid of them. So yes. they, they retaliate against them. So this is very important for people to know. I'm sorry. Yes. Please go on. Yeah, when we look at the stuff as we prepare, Lydia, what would be your suggestions for nursing education and nursing care for the future? What would you recommend that the nurse, you know, do to get better prepared for the future events that are going to happen no matter what we say? I think um, don't be so trusting. Yes, a lot of questions. I think I was when I was over there in reference to the anthrax vaccine, I was told um, this is what I had to do, and um, I couldn't tell the people at home because we didn't want to let the enemy know that we were taking the anthrax vaccine. I didn't ask the right questions because I didn't know how to ask the right questions. I only learned it when I came back and I started learning about the anthrax vaccine. I started learning about paradigmine. I started really looking and really investigating a lot of these issues. And it really, um, really blew me away that I, I, I wasn't paying attention. I didn't ask about the paradigmine. I didn't ask it. Well, you know, in terms of this is an experimental drug. Um, when we, how is this used in? Uh, how do you know that it's going to be effective? Or, or all of those kinds of questions. I think we we um, have to encourage, I don't care whether it's in the, uh, the um, non-mi- non-military world or in the military world, learning to ask questions. And I think that we owe our patients to ask not only for ourselves, but for our patients, for our, our, in, our staff, the people that we work with. We owe um, each other the, to, be, um, to be aware, to be knowledgeable. Don't assume anything. Don't assume that, um, that this is the, um, what they're telling you is everything um, about a particular drug or something like that. Even like in, in cases of, of taking, I know many, uh, the soldiers took multiple um, vaccinations. Is this a protocol? Is this um, uh, something that um, could render you um, having a... Um, Particular side effects from these multiple injections. I came in contact with many um, soldiers who never even went over there, who received multiple injections, who wound up having experiencing problems, and they were ignored. Well, because they didn't go over there, but they were, but they were fine before the injection now that they have the injections these multiple injections now they're not so fine why they were Let me um, a lot of them were denied service uh, connection. as we were speaking uh, vis-a-vis your husband 
uh, Desert Storm veterans, and this is true today. Of, uh, please listen up, everybody. If you're not a Desert Storm veteran, if you've got a young brother, a young sister, a son, a daughter, a niece, a nephew that's serving today, be it in Afghanistan, uh, be it at any one of, uh, of a number of hot spots, what we're speaking of today is not unique to Desert Storm. And as Lydia points out, we have not learned our lesson from past, uh, past history. We are now, our soldiers who are serving today are being exposed to CW, chemical warfare agents, because that's the great equalizer. It's cheap. And it can, in fact, be effectively used against American high-tech weaponry and overwhelming higher uh, firepower. It's cheap. And if you think we heard this about, the, unfortunately, the use of CW, chemical warfare, in Syria, may I assure you that it is being deployed in a low-level uh, uh, type uh, against our American soldiers. And if, in fact, and other allied soldiers, if, in fact, we get into open warfare, can I assure everyone that it will be used once again? CW, biological warfare agents, and uh, certainly the use of radioactive weaponry, which is now broadly uh, dispersed throughout uh, the uh, well, we're, we're out of time, the ladies enemy. and gentlemen. Thank you, uh, Lydia. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you for Thank taking you. care of the troops. Patricia, God bless you. Have a good evening, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen.